We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. He's breaking it down, so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with a former New York City prosecutor, but more importantly, a uh, just an amazing author of a fantastic book, which is a must-get for everyone. And it, it reads uh, part uh, crime drama, part legal thriller. It's absolutely terrific, and it's uh, it's true. It's it's all it's all good stuff. Bad medicine, catching New York's deadliest pill pusher, is the full title, and it's about the Dr. Stan Lee and uh, and you know the sixteen patients who overdosed by him um, inappropriate inappropriately uh, supplying and prescribing opioid uh, to to them and uh, they died of opioid related overdoses just a terrible heartless guy and this is the story of this and she's absolutely uh, fantastic Charlotte Bismuth is our very special guest and uh, Charlotte uh, thrilled to have you Thank you so much, and thank you for that very, very kind and generous introduction. Listen, it's well-deserved. Can I ask you the the difference between your expectations of how the book would end up and uh, and how it ultimately ended up? That is such a good question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that one before, and it's it's an important one. Um, You know, as an attorney... I am used to just telling, laying out the facts in chronological order and trying to uh, give a jury the information that they need to make the right decision. And of course, a book is very different. And in the end, that brought me a lot because I was able to look at this story from a different perspective. I thought about the effect that this investigation and these crimes had on my life, on my parenting. I thought about uh, you know, what it means to suffer the pain of addiction that these victims went through for their families. Um, It allowed me to reconnect to the members of my team, Detective Joe Hall, who really gumshooed his way through all five boroughs of New York City to to bring this case together, thinking about how hard he had worked and what skills were involved in that. So I learned a lot from writing the book that I hadn't known, even though I was working on this case for four and a half years. Can you write a book like this and go through the process of writing a book like this without visualizing it on screen? Uh, that's a good question. I, um, you know, I had lived it. So I had these moments in my mind that will be there forever. And I had, um, I had sort of the physical memory of sitting in that courtroom for 18 weeks, of looking at Dr. Lee, of listening to Margaret Rappold, the mother of one of the homicide victims, a 21-year-old man named Nicholas, of uh, asking her questions of, on the stand, of watching her tears you know, well up in her eyes and thinking about, on one hand, I had to think about what I needed to 
ask her in order to present our case to the jury. And on the other hand, I thought of her as a mom and as a woman, and you know, how could I make this as painless as possible for her? So all those things were really physically part of me, and it was a relief to write about them in a way because um, putting them on the page meant that I could process it, and I also knew that there were so many other moms and dads and sisters and brothers out there who had suffered the same thing, and I thought maybe reading about Margaret and the other families would give them a bit of relief. Did did Dr. Lee change during the trial uh, his, you know, either his expression? I mean, I, you're, you're a prosecutor, so you, you know, you study, you know, facial expressions and gestures and everything. Did you notice any change in Dr. Lee from the start of the trial to the end? Well, there were certainly moments when he was upset, when he was offended. Um, there were also you know, six days worth of testimony from him. So when we were really able to watch him, but for the most part, I have to say during those 18 weeks, my attention was focused on our, our witnesses. Um, I had to put on the medical expert. That testimony lasted several entire days. We went through 20 patients, um, histories in great detail. We were putting on a lot of financial evidence to show um, that the greed that drove Dr. Lee resulted in nearly $500,000 in cash and earnings. Um, you know, just getting 70 witnesses in and out of the courtroom over that period of time was extremely stressful. So luckily that took my attention a little bit off Dr. Lee. But what I will say is that during sentencing, when he spoke and expressed absolutely no remorse, we understood that the trial had not had the same effect on him as it had on the jury or on us. Yeah, amazing. Uh, again, let me remind everyone to buy this book. It is a, I ordered mine. Uh, it, it's a must get bad medicine, catching New York's deadliest pill pusher and appropriately named uh, Charlotte. Charlotte Bismuth is our very special guest and she's a former New York City prosecutor and she's seen it all. But uh, she, uh, she wrote a hit here. It's an absolute must get for everyone. Again, bad medicine, catching New York's deadliest pill pusher. Uh, Dr. Lee showed no remorse and i you know that was you know one of my next questions is i do these folks I, and i don't know if you can group them all together and i you know i know everyone's an individual but somehow or another these these folks these pill pushers as you put it uh, they they get away with murder literally get away with murder and i don't know whether they um just rationalize it all away is, is there a general sense that they don't think they're doing anything wrong or they don't think that they're they're doing anything that wrong? I think it really depends on the individual. You know, one thing we learned from the Lee case, meeting so many different survivors, witnesses, and of course dealing with Dr. Lee, is that you really can never predict what it will be. You know, with him it turned out to really just be greed, and that greed caused him to be indifferent to the life lives of others. Now, um, you know, we know that that's also the case for Purdue Pharmaceuticals, members of the Sackler family who also received um, information about the harm that OxyContin, which is the drug they manufactured, was causing and just kept going because they wanted to make money. With respect to all the other doctors, I think, you know, one thing our medical expert said was that whatever you didn't learn in medical school, you should have known from your clinical practice because these doctors are seeing people in so much pain 
the pain of withdrawal, the pain of, you know, having their, their lives fall apart because of the substance use disorder that they're suffering from, um, you know, physical, terrible, chronic pain, uh, absolutely insufferable states of being. And they all, you know, all they do is they take the money and let that person go and, and keep suffering another day. I don't know. I don't know how people do that. And I don't know how you do that without, I don't know. I, I think they must become numb to it at some point. Uh, Dr. Lee certainly grew very indifferent. Um, but it's, it's something that I can't explain. I can't really process. And I think the only way to counter it is for us to do the opposite, which is to pay attention to the people who are suffering. If we know that somebody is in grief around us because they've lost somebody to the opioid epidemic, talk to them ask them about you know the person they've lost connect them to resources learn about narcan and help people uh you know who who might be at risk of overdosing so i want to go in the opposite direction of that and that's one of the reasons why i wrote the book to really invite people to look more closely and to care you know, I know there was uh, there was all types of controversy around um, Narcan when it was first introduced, but it really has turned out to be a lifesaver, literally, for so many things. Could could you just uh, address Narcan for uh, for a moment uh, as a uh, as a prosecutor? You you know you were there when it was first introduced, I assume, and uh, and there was some talk uh, going back and forth. What you know, like what what would it do exactly? Uh, it's turned out to be a a home run, so to speak. Absolutely. And, you know, the fact is that working on this case taught me a lot that I did not know about um, the, the medicine and the science of addiction, which is an illness and not a crime. Narcan, you know, it's a, what they call an overdose reversal drug. Um, the, you know, with, with a lot of prescription opioids, it can actually reverse the overdose. The danger is that with fentanyl, which is now driving so many of the overdose deaths, it may take more than one or two doses of Narcan to reverse an overdose. So you still really, really need to call for help in every in every case and let the person know who's responding what substance um, may have been ingested. But listen, I believe that anything we can do to give somebody's child, somebody's brother, somebody's sister, somebody's you know husband or wife another day to live, we should do. We have reached a point where the pandemic has caused the deaths to skyrocket. We saw 81,000 deaths between May 2019 and May 2020, and it's gotten even worse. Anything we can do to give somebody another day to live, to get help, we should do. That is what I now believe. If you're just joining us uh, a little late or turning on your radios a little late, Charlotte Bismuth is our very special guest, a former New York City prosecutor and just uh, an amazing author of a great book, which is a must. Everyone, get two of these books and get one for yourself and get one for someone that you think uh, is uh, is in the line of fire as far as opioid epidemic. Uh, the uh, opioid epidemic is in, uh, in, in concern. Uh, bad medicine catching New York's death as pill pusher it's it's an important book for so many reasons i i think because of covid 19 we've uh, we've forgotten about the opioid epidemic but that's all we were talking about at one point and then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and and we stopped but i mean uh, the opioid crisis is is far from over and i think this book will underline why it's so important. Again, Frank McKay here, much more importantly. Charlotte Bismuth is our very special guest. Uh, address that, if you would. Uh, 
somehow, some way, uh, it's. It, this is uh, this is not a topic anymore, and and I guess because when you have a global pandemic, that takes all the all the juice out of everything. But prior to coronavirus, uh, w- all we were talking about, we had it constantly on our shows and 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 all different stations. But um, we really have gone away from from the idea of the uh, opioid epidemic. I guess uh, for the for the higher cause or what what people um, are, are paying attention to, and that's coronavirus. But it's still uh, tremendously out there. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a. I think the greatest tragedy is that we may have lost hope that it will ever end. Now, I know um, I work with now a dad who's lost his son to an OxyContin overdose in 2001. That's 20 years ago. Uh, his son would have been, you know, in his 40s by now. And for him to still be fighting and for still be fighting not just to hold those accountable who launched the opioid epidemic, but for people to pay attention to these deaths and to, you know, to try to prevent them is really heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, we, we have to try to end it in our lifetime. I mean, I, that, that sounds like a very low bar, but I think it'll be harder than we think. And one of the reasons why I wrote the Dr. Lee book is I think that this case, even though it was New York City you know, 10 years ago, it offers a roadmap for how we can break down the stereotypes about addiction, about, you know, who is a criminal, who is not a criminal, uh, who deserves accountability, how, you know, how do we move forward when so many people have been hurt? And one of the things that really comes to mind is, um, you know, you mentioned COVID. We had that COVID memorial in January that I think brought a lot of peace to families, but some families have lost elders to COVID and younger members to opioid epidemic, to the opioid epidemic in the same time period. And so many families in the U.S. are in mourning because of that. I believe that we should acknowledge that loss, acknowledge those deaths, and really focus together on how we can help those who are in trouble stay alive, how we can get accountability for those who are responsible, and how we can save lives going forward. Charlotte, you mentioned learning a, a lot during the trial. Uh, what did you learn during the trial that really stood? What was an aha moment that happened during the trial, if any, that uh, you, you just had no idea uh, would, was reality until uh, you actually heard it there in the courtroom? The first thing that comes to mind is the pain of withdrawal. I heard a 19-year-old woman um, I, actually, by the time she testified, she was in her 20s, but she had first seen Dr. Lee when she was 19 years old. She had only ever tried drugs recreationally, had never tried oxycodone. Dr. Lee put her on oxycodone four times a day, and she described to the jury the pain that she would find herself in when she didn't have enough of the medication and what it was like to go to Dr. Lee's office and beg him for another prescription. And he would give her one, but he charged her extra um, because she was in withdrawal and coming in too early. So that is something that, you know, as a prosecutor, I didn't, I hadn't really understood in the same way. And also, you know, people who suffer from addiction, um, they, they came forward in our case. They were incredibly brave. Uh, they made the case. They came forward, and even though they were at risk of undergoing a really tough cross-examination, they told the jury, you know what? I uh, wanted to get this medication. I lied to Dr. Lee. 
and this is, you know, this is what happened. Um, this is what it looks like, and this is how I behaved, and uh, they told the truth, and the jury understood that, and the jury understood that Dr. Lee had been driven by greed, and when they met these patients and experienced their bravery, I think um, it was very hard for them to, to look away. I think it's very easy for us to dehumanize each other when we don't know what somebody else is going through, and there's such a value to sharing our experiences with other people, which is why, you know, I also wanted to get into the personal side a little bit in the book and share my experiences with depression, with anxiety, with the stress of building the case, because I know that there are other people out there who suffer from those conditions and, um, you know, you don't have to be perfect to do good. Well, listen, great job on everything. Congratulations on a wonderful uh, career as a prosecutor and certainly on the book. Before I let you go, are you getting rave reviews from, from people who have, who have the book? And we'll, uh, as you leave, we'll, uh, we'll let everyone know once again uh, you know, about it and, and the title and, and so forth. Uh, what kind of reaction have you gotten, if any, from the Dr. Lee side? None. I, you know, understandably, I think his family is probably uh, still grieving his loss. I was very upset to hear about his death from COVID in prison. I feel like if we send people into the custody of the government, they should be safe. Um, so I, you know, I certainly extend my condolences to them. I don't expect necessarily a response from them, but I can tell you that the the most important reviews that I receive are letters and emails from readers who tell me their story. I have a website, charlottebusiness.com. There's a one button click to send me a message. And you know, I welcome all the feedback. I'll, I'm used to jury verdicts, so I'll take the positive and the negative. Um, I'm always interested to hear how people felt when they read the book and what's happening in their part of the world. Congratulations once again, Charlotte, and uh, thank you very much for spending a little bit of time with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this interview. Thank you. Charlotte Bismuth, everyone. Charlotte Bismuth has been our very special guest, a very successful prosecutor in New York City, and she uh, she prosecuted the uh, uh, you know many cases, but she wrote the book on on something that really should be in the forefront of what we. Are, are thinking about and it's uh, you know and again as COVID kind of uh, uh, get, people get a handle on COVID with the vaccine coming out and everything else uh, the the next thing we have to do is get back to normal one of the things that was part of the old normal was uh, was the opioid epidemic and we spoke about it here a million times and this book underlines what happened there. Dr. Stan Lee was a uh, was a sleazebag really. I mean he died in in prison of uh, of COVID and uh, he just was so greedy and he uh, he kept uh pushing um the opioids uh and you know on on behalf of big pharma on behalf of uh, his patients in order to just just get money. I I think over half a million dollars came uh, from what they found to be uh, illegally given prescriptions and 16 of his just think about it 16 of his patients died from opioid related overdoses and uh, I mean look it, it can happen to anyone it could happen these doctors aren't God right they they obviously they uh, they 
they're not perfect, but I mean, this is egregious. 16 patients died of opioid-related overdoses. Just absolutely uh, terrible job by him, and and you know, he died of he died of COVID. And uh, you know, look, uh, you know, we, we certainly don't cheer anybody. Uh, dying, but he he didn't give he didn't give a damn about his patients dying. That's for sure. Uh, it, you know, somewhere after that first one, uh, you would think he would get a handle of it. But sixteen patients died because of his uh, malpractice. Really, I mean, and his uh, uh, his his harshness, uh, just going after the almighty dollar. Anyway, Charlotte Bismuth has been our very special guest, and she is the author once again of Bad Medicine. Catching New York's Deadliest Pill Pusher, and it's aptly named. Get the book, and it's uh, it's important. And if you know anyone who is uh, is touched by the opioid crisis and the epidemic that is still out there, very much out there, get them a copy of this book as well. It's about Dr. Stan Lee, uh, who's the late Dr. Stan Lee at this point. He died in prison, and I, I don't know. I don't, uh, you know, certainly don't wish that on on anyone, but uh, I, I don't have any tears to shed for him because uh, they should be saved for the 16 patients that he uh, he over-prescribed and, and illegally prescribed uh, opioids to that didn't need it, and he just, uh, again, uh, just one of many uh, sleazy characters out there that are doing business like this. Uh, and again, the name of the book is Bad Medicine, Catching New York's Deadliest Pill Pusher. And Charlotte Bismuth is the author of that, and she's been our very special guest. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. He's breaking it down. So you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with just a wonderful talent. And uh, she's, uh, she's so well known for, uh, you know, Law and & Order and, uh, and, and so many other shows and movies. And uh, she's absolutely uh, wonderful. Everything that she's in, I could watch, uh, especially City on a, on a Hill. And uh, that's uh, we got new episodes coming right now, right ahead of us on Showtime. And everybody's got to tune. If you're not tuning into that show, please do so. Jill Hennessy, how are you? Oh, Frank, I am so great after your just hearing your kind words. You are you are a mensch. You are such a joy. Thank you. Well, uh, we've had you before, and we got so many calls, and people said, "Why didn't you ask it? Why didn't you ask it that?" And I can't. I should have wrote down what people wanted me to ask you, but uh, let's let's talk about City on a Hill. That's uh, that's an easy one. People are loving this. I love it. Uh, it give us a little. Uh, give us a little uh, something as an overview, as if somebody's never seen it before. Oh my gosh! Okay, uh, very very dark and gritty. Drama set in uh, in Boston in the 90s, in the early 90s, uh, and Kevin Bacon plays an extremely corrupt FBI guy, 
and Aldous Hodge is a, a very uh, a very moral and uh, powerful uh, you know district attorney who comes to uh, to Boston to try to clean up the uh, the corrupt scene, shall we say? And uh, I play Kevin's wife. Um, basically, I'm the only female that Kevin's not sleeping with. Uh, so that, that's that's true. It's an interesting part to play. Let me tell you. Um, and to give you an idea, too, I haven't even watched the last episode because I'm just still kind of freaked out about it because the, the episode opens with me, uh, um, let's just say, in a, uh, a compromising position with a, an Irish priest. Oh That's as God. far as I'm going to go on that right now, Frank. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I did not watch that with my mother-in-law nor my husband. Just saying that. <laughs> Hey, you, but, you uh, it's a great show. The, the performances are amazing, and the writing is phenomenal. And Tom Fontana is our, our, our showrunner, and he, he did Oz and Homicide. And he's, they're all brilliant. I mean, this is a, this is a good one. This is uh, this is a show I think uh, that we're going to be talking about for a long time, and I think it's going to be one of those shows. And I know everyone hopes for that when they uh, when they get involved. But I think yeah. it's going to be one of those shows that that ten years from now you're going to have new uh, followers and new fans, and they're going to jump back. Uh, and and watch everything again, and new people are going to watch it. Uh, did you get a good vibe on this when you first saw? I don't know. What did you see? A script at first, or a description? What was your first uh, your first view of of uh, City on a Hill? Um, I first saw a script, and by the way, thank you for saying what you just said. I I pray that people you know come back, and, and the, the viewership keeps growing, and they go back to the first episode. Because it, it really is a brilliant piece of work. I mean, the, the script that we got was written by a guy named Chuck McClain. He's such a brilliant writer and just a great guy. Um, and, you know, um, I believe he's from Quincy. Uh, so this is very close to his heart. And uh, But the, the script just, just sweeps you away. And then the, the casting, I mean, it's, it's just the, the performances were so riveting. Uh, I'm just so honored to, to be able to say that I work with all these people. Um, and watch their performances on a daily basis. Um, but uh, it was really powerful stuff and really intense. Where it's nice when you're reading a script and you find yourself gasping yeah. um, or, or just being shocked and not, you know, and unable to predict, you know, where, where the storylines are going. Um, but it, but it, it's also just so much fun to play as an actor because I mean I'm I'm basically doing the craziest stuff of my career on this show. Um, I'm allowed to just just go for it, you know. I'm, I've I've kicked Kevin Bacon out of my house. I've punched the crap out of him. <laughs> I've screamed at him, and you know, I, I had a good time. And and you know, eating lasagna with him and laughed. So it was, there you go. Um, but it, it's. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no. You know what I thought of uh, when I was watching you guys in this? Even though uh, you could never say something from the 90s is a period piece, but how different things were in the 90s uh, mm. before technology and social media and everything. But it's uh, it's it's oh, got to yeah. be a it's got to be a strange feeling acting in that in that time period because it really wasn't that long ago. But it it, it really does seem long yeah. ago when you think about it. Oh yeah, when you're there on the set and like I'm in the kitchen doing a scene on the phone and I'm and it's a phone on the wall with a cord. Yeah. And I'm like, how am I supposed to do this? How can I walk around the house and do the scene? I mean, I'm getting tangled up in this thing. Oh my god! You you realize? Oh my gosh! I haven't seen one of these since I was a kid. 
Um, and, and you're realizing it really does affect so much of, of the action in the scene. Just typical things where you'd say, oh, just pick up your cell phone and call somebody. Or, you know, you would have heard this on social media before you heard it on the news. Or you would, little things that just didn't exist, you know, no internet. Um, touchstone phones are dial phones. You know, check that out. Look at a dial phone and, and, and let that sit with you for a while. Yeah. Wow. Freaky. Yeah, you know, you, you also said something yeah. that, that kind of uh, uh, hit me. You said, you know, this this is different for you. You're punching the crap out of uh, Kevin and you're doing this and, you're, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, all of these different things. I, I can't imagine because you have such a uh, you have a tremendous resume and and the the body of work is there but uh, the quality within the body of work is is tremendous uh is there, are there oh, a lot of things you. that you'd like to do as an actress that you just haven't gotten to do yet uh, do you have a bucket list is there anything like that ah. oh yeah oh my gosh there's so many things i i, I want to do comedy <laughs> i would love yeah. to do a light comedy jeez that would be fun um Let's see. It's funny. I just watched a bit of Abbott Elementary, which is such a hilarious show. Great I'm like, show. I could do a tiny part on that. Yeah. So much fun. But uh, being a Jordan Peele movie, um, and I'm also living a dream right now. I'm in this Marvel film that I can't really talk about, but yeah. I'm so because I'm such a Marvel fan. Uh, I have been for years. I've been take. I've got two boys. I'm the one who always takes them in all the action films, especially Marvel films. So the fact that I can say I'm in one, I'm so thrilled. It is such an honor. So at least I got that out, checked out the bucket list. I mean, there's so much I still want to do, Frank. I mean, I just, uh, I, I love working. I'm an actor who just loves playing different people. You know, either I kind of am drawn to the more messed up characters. Maybe I can relate to those a little more. But uh, yeah, I, I love it. I just hope I never stop. I, I, I'll tell you what, I, I could see you in anything that you just mentioned there. I could see you in Marvel, and and uh, uh, kudos to uh, to you to to do that. And the kids got to look at you differently. It's like Super Mom, not. And I don't know what your role is. Yeah, exactly. But it's like <laughs> Magic so. Mom, Super Mom. You know, if you weren't before, you certainly yeah. are now. Uh, can you give us a social media site, a uh, website, and we'll be talking about uh, City on a Hill as we let you go. But uh, congrats on everything, Jill. You're wonderful as always. And uh, give us a, a website. Give us something to follow you on. Oh, sure. I'm on Instagram, Jill Hennessy Official, and on Twitter, uh, Jill Hennessy. So uh, catch me on both. I'm on. I, I'm the only person who runs my accounts, by the way. So uh, it gets pretty pretty weird. Well, congrats on, on <laughs> but it's me. being a great wonderful character wonderful actress on a great show i mean this is oh. this is a keeper city on a hill is dynamite jill thanks for being here oh thank you so much frank bless you man i really appreciate what you said jill hennessy everyone you know her from cross and jordan she was terrific cross and jordan and law and order and uh, you know i can't believe she hasn't done comedy she's had to do comedy right uh, looking at her, her stuff, is she not done? Crawford says, I don't know that one, but uh, anyway, I, I see that, you know, she's done comedy there, and um, she was a guest star in the pilot of, of Yellowstone, which um, I'll bet you anything that uh, that uh, that uh, they uh, that she didn't end up doing Yellowstone because there were other there was other work. But that's a, that's a big one. Frank McKay signing off. Jill Hennessy has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time on...
breaking it down. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay.